Welcome to Spotlight on Degrassi, a fan panel brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Lee Robbins from the WGC, and tonight we're hanging out at Toronto's Fan Expo. We're here with all the gamers, sci-fi lovers, and pop culture junkies for a panel discussion with the amazing writing team from the famous TV series Degrassi. This show has a cult-like following that it's built for more than 30 years, and it has a truly die-hard fan base. On the panel today are Sarah Glinsky, Degrassi showrunner, and she's joined by her writing team, Matt Heater, Matt Schiller, Scott Aleskowitz, Zoe Whittall, and Alejandro Alcoba. Hello, everyone. Um, any Degrassi fans out there? Everybody? <laughs> How long have you guys been Degrassi fans for? Like five years? Ten years? Like 20, thank you, thank you. I feel really comfortable now. <laughs> you know, I feel really good. Go back to the 80s. Um, we are really excited to have everybody here. We're totally excited to have um, the writing team of Degrassi here. They are the ones that uh, create the characters, the stories, the action. And um, uh, this is the Writers Guild, and we're presenting this panel um, because of the relationship that the writers in the writers' room have with the fans. When you guys uh, go to social media and you you know, talk about the characters of the show, it goes to them. And they're the ones that put it into the script. And uh, so it's really exciting to hear from the writers um, and how they incorporate your ideas or how they you know, kind of balance your ideas with what the needs of the story are and uh, also what the needs of, of the broadcaster and, and, the, and the whole Degrassi world is. So I am going to just, um, just go down the line here and ask everyone on the team just to give a, a short introduction uh, to themselves and what they do. We have the wonderful Sarah Glinsky here. Am I pronouncing it right? Yes, that's correct. Sarah Glinsky, I pronounce it wonderfully. <laughs> um, and she is the showrunner who is like the creator. So I'm going to yeah. just stop talking and let you take over. No, I have nothing else. That's no, <laughs> she's the boss <laughs> and awesome. She's a queen. Um, yeah, so Sarah, showrunner. Um, I've been working on Degrassi for six years, writing and producing the show, and I've been showrunning it for the last three. Um, before that, I worked. I wrote on a number of other Canadian shows, and before that, uh, I went to the Canadian Film Centre and studied TV writing. It's a very short bio. On to Matt. Hi, I'm Matt Heater. I've been with the show for eight seasons. I'm the co-executive producer, um, and I've written for some other shows, The LA Complex, uh, How to Be Indie. I did some episodes of Hot Wheels Battle Force 5, which was cool. Um, that's it. Other Matt. <laughs> I'm the other Matt. Uh, uh, my name is Matt Schiller. I've been with the show for three years. I'm executive story editor. Um, before Degrassi, I wrote on a lot of shows, sort of for Family Channel, uh, like Life with Derek, Latest Buzz, those kind of things. And I also went to the Film Center uh, for the screenwriting program that they offer for TV. Uh, my name is Scott Oliskovich, uh, also an executive story editor, and this was my first season on Degrassi. Uh, written on a bunch of different Canadian shows, everything from... 11-minute animation to police procedural, and uh, I also went to the Film Center. Hi, I'm Zoe Whittall. Uh, this is my first year on Degrassi as a story editor. I'm primarily a novelist, and uh, so this is my first job in TV, although I do have an original sitcom in development, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Hey, and my name's Alejandro Alcoba, and I'm the story coordinator and one of the writers, too, and uh, I have also worked on some other shows like The Next Step and What's Up Warthogs. Okay, 
So that is a, a wonderful writer's team. Okay, I'm going to throw you guys a question that just came to me. Um, were any of you guys fans of the show before you became writers? Oh and yeah. did you go mental when you were hired <laughs> <laughs> as, as writers on the show? Uh, I was a fan of the original series as a kid, and then uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, in university, watched even The Next Generation. I love high school shows. And then on my first day on the job, finding out that my office was right next to Stefan Brogrens, who played Snake, was a huge <laughs> adjustment, because it was like, he was so famous to me, and now he's just my coworker. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, hey, Snake. <laughs> Um, I obviously watched uh, Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High, sort of in elementary school and, and, and growing up. Uh, it made me very scared of Toronto. I thought it was a place where teenagers <laughs> did really bad things and had questionable hair. It's um, <laughs> kind of a nerdy, uh, nerdy junior high student. Um, but I actually was a big fan of The Next Generation when it came on because I've, like, no matter how old I've been, teen programming and teen television has always been my passion. And so I loved the first couple of seasons of Degrassi. And as I realized I wanted to be a TV writer, I knew that was sort of my dream job. Um, and I had the same experience as Matt when I came in for my in my interview. Like, it wasn't even having an office beside him. I came in for an interview and was surprised to have Snake or Principal Simpson interviewing me <laughs> for a job as a writer on the show. So that kind of freaked me out. But he's the nicest person in the entire world, and you would feel very comfortable um, around him. But, yeah, this has always been my dream job. So I'm very lucky. Anyone else? Yeah, I was a huge fan of the original show, and uh, I remember being in grade seven and seeing Spike on TV for the first time and being like, oh my God, my people, they exist. <laughs> um, and I'm still starstruck when I see uh, Stefan around the office, for sure. I would say no, though, and I speak for all the writers. Um, I think whether or not we were fans before we got onto the show, we're all fans of the show now, and mm -hmm. I think <laughs> it's a room full of people who are so passionate about the characters and passionate about the stories we tell. And I think we share you know, many of the same feelings and loves as all the fans, um, and we love making the show. So I think I would say if we weren't fans before, I think by the time people get onto the show and they have to watch all the content to get onto the show, everyone's fans by that time. So, Anybody else? Oh, all right. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so what I wanted to ask you guys, um, basically, how influential are your Degrassi fans? Like, I mean, um, yeah, in terms of things like storylines or some character, character names or something like that, is there anything that, uh, any kind of experience you've had where uh, fans have said, oh, can you do this, and it actually works into your... Um, I would say for the most part, no. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think fans <laughs> are a big part of why we tell TV. Like, mm -hmm. um, So I think we're always thinking of, and I'm going to use the word, I mean, there's fans and audience. We're always thinking mm -hmm. of the audience. We're always thinking about what's going to incite, excite, engage, challenge, make people really happy, make people really angry, make people have really <laughs> strong feelings, because strong feelings are, I think, what we all try to do. Like, that's what we want most. Um, and I think, you know, I th when Matt and I first started on the show, there was less immediate feedback from the fans, um, and we were sort of figuring it out. And sometimes, I mean, the, the only internet presence when we started was really we would get reviews from a website called Boycott the Calf. Is anyone? Right. <laughs> we would get, like, you'd write your episode and they'd give you a grade and give you a really snarky review. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> and we get comments on that. Um, 
But, you know, we were trying to do that back then, and now we're still trying to do the same thing, but now we have Twitter, and we have Tumblr, and we have all sorts of um, online presence, and we get immediate feedback. And it's not so much whether they love a particular couple together or they love a particular storyline. What we get to see is when people gasp or when people get so angry, we get to see it in real time while we're watching the show with them. Um, and we think, I think, as long as we incite all those feelings and people feel a lot about the show and get excited or passionate about it, then we think we're doing our job well. I don't know if you guys agree or have anything to add. For sure. I think like that was one of the most fun things ever uh, when you write your first episode and you follow along like on Twitter during the... Um, during the broadcast is really seeing all the, the reactions and the, the fans having the emotional journey along with the storyline. And that's just really, like, it's something you don't necessarily always get um, in television, necessarily in Canadian television. Degrassi is such an institution, has such a great fan base, has such a, a active online fan base that I think we really get to, like, see that our work hopefully, like, excites you and sometimes angers you and sometimes, like, makes you feel like sad or happy and I think all that stuff is, is, is so amazing to experience in real time and follow along um, oh, were any of you at the MTV parking lot party? no well that was pretty cool because MTV aired the finale in their parking lot and the audience was there and it was pouring rain like pouring rain what was aired but we had you know I would say a hundred or more people out there in the rain watching it with us and we got to hear all all the gasps all the moments live um, and we were all there in the rain with them. Um, and that was really fantastic. Even more on top of that, too, it's kind of fun when you're actually watching the show to get to follow along on Twitter live. And it's become sort of such a ritual, I think, for a lot of us every Tuesday when the shows air to do that, that even when we were at that parking lot party, every time I would glance over at the rest of the gang, at least one of them would be on their phone. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even watch the show anymore. <laughs> I just watch Twitter while it's happening. Because it, it got to the point where it didn't matter if it was on. I'm just looking at this because there's so many tweets that are happening. I never, never look at them. Right so I don't even have the TV on anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely fodder for discussion in yeah. the room. Oh, yeah, on yeah. Wednesday, what lines sure. landed yeah. and, you yeah. know, who was mad at what. What type of fans was, were mad right, about? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, how does that work with that discussion? I mean, like you're saying, you know, it doesn't necessarily work, change storylines or anything like that, but what does that feedback do? Is it, val- obviously, it's validating and it sometimes makes you cry. I think it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, exciting. it's really exciting for us. Like, we come in and, and just to, to engage so many people and have so many people who are excited about it and, oh, they loved this. Oh, we didn't know if this would work. It totally worked. Oh, they're they're mad at this now, but just wait till they see this other thing that happens. You know, like we're it, it helps us know if we're on the right track with things or if our misdirects are working right. It doesn't mm-hmm. help us change where we're going because generally speaking, we're we've already written eight months ahead of where we are. Mm-hmm. So it just tells us if we if our instincts were right. Mm-hmm. It helps us with a bigger level of story, not like helps us know how to craft story, not how to craft specific stories. Yeah, if there's something they're not talking about um, and that doesn't make them feel something, then then that's when we think, we're like, huh, maybe that's not the type of story that's going to engage and excite our fans, Like, because right. obviously there's not discussion about it. And the thing we have to remember, too, sometimes is, like, obviously we all follow the Twitter feed and we love that and we look at different Tumblrs and, you know, but we also know that there we have fans that aren't online you know, there's the right. super passionate fans, which we are super passionate about those people. But we also have fans who aren't live tweeting the show and who aren't maybe writing pop posts or fanfic after. So we know that we have a wider fan audience. We have to think of all of them. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously we have broadcasters who also then have specific demographics and specific fans that they're trying to target. Yeah. 
And are any of your fans talking? Do they say, "Hey, writers, what are you doing?" Or is it, <laughs> yeah. or is it mainly? You know, like, are, yes. are they, yeah, really? Because you know, you, it's interesting when we've had our other fan expo panels how engaged the fans are with the writers. Like they know who's writing, and they know who to direct oh, their yeah. comments to. So, um, you guys have that too, where they're like, "Why did the writers do this?" As opposed to, "Why did the character do that?" Like, I think it's, just, it's uh, so funny. So it just happens. Oh, sorry, you were gonna say oh no, no, well, that's a, a good point. If the character, generally speaking. If the character does something that everyone loves, the character does it. <laughs> and if the character does something that is less desirable, it is the writers who have done it. And that's, that usually is the distinction online. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and how does that make you feel? <laughs> Not, uh, you know. Okay. Um, <laughs> we own our decisions. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we know who wrote it. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, is there is there a specific person in the writers' room who's? I know you guys are all checking Twitter and everything like mm -hmm. that, but in terms of maybe responding or to what's out there in the Twitterverse and online, is there a specific person who's kind of managing the social media that's from the writers' room? Or we have a Degrassi writers' account and a Degrassi <laughs> Tumblr, and yeah. the writers, I would say, mostly managed by Matt, take turns um, posting Matt on Heater? that. Matt Heater. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. But that's. That's our writer's room engagement with the fans, and we like okay. to have that direct connection. Uh, Degrassi and their, the production company Epitome, they have a whole dedicated uh, social media digital department that, that do a much bigger, like we've got 7,000 followers, I think mm -hmm. they've got 70,000. So like they're, they're actually engaging with the fans on mm -hmm. a more meaningful level. We talk to them um, on more of a Teasy craft level, yeah, okay. specifically mm -hmm. as writers. Yeah, and they, they and they know that we're we're the writers. We're not the show when they talk to us on that level. Okay, so what's the difference then between the kinds of? I mean, you did uh, hint at it, the difference between between the kind of conversation you'd have with your awesome seven thousand and that uh, followers and that uh, epitome would have with their with their followers. Is it, you're saying it's kind of more mm. of a crafty conversation. It's well, we show we take a lot of photos of the whiteboards in the writers' room and tease things out that way, and um, we talk a lot about snacks. Like, <laughs> that's like the number one part of our day is snacking. So we talk about that online. And I would say our communication is sort of the writers' room as a character. Yeah, like that's, oh, it's that's like our persona as a character. We eat a lot of snacks. That's something we do do, um, and we share the type of stuff that only we can share. Versus the actual digital team is like Degrassi as a universe, mm -hmm. um, and so they're more likely to do promos or pics from sets or. Uh, conversations with the actors or the characters and, and stuff like that. So that's what they do. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and uh, I don't know. So who's been? You've been with Degrassi for six years. You've been six seasons. Six seasons. Yeah. So we've been on it the longest. No matter. Eight. Eight seasons. <laughs> and so, have you noticed? I mean, obviously, uh, the online element has grown quite a bit. But in terms of I mean, any kind of feedback or the types of fans that you get, have you noticed a change since when you started? Um, or the importance of fans? Has it changed in the eight years or in the six years that you've been? I think it's always, I mean, personally for me, it's always been important. I, I know that we are, we are making the TV show for the people who watch the show. Right, right, right. And, and every year when I sort of talk to the network about our plan and our strategy for the yeah. season, um, I say to them, my plan is to get as many people watching Degrassi as, I can, as possible and to excite the fans as much as possible and to make sure they watch every episode and, 
and to try to get them to watch as many of those episodes live because that's really important to the networks and the people who pay for us to make the show um, still um, until people figure out how to you know, make all of the different internet versions people can watch as, as, um, as important. Um, so I think they've always been really important to us. We've always cared a lot what they thought. And, but there hasn't been any changes pretty much. I think the interesting thing, I mean, a lot of you guys say you've been watching Degrassi, um, you know, the new one for a really long time. Our fans have, we have a unique thing where we've been on, we've just finished writing the 14th season. So we've been on the air 14 years. We have fans who have been with us since season one. <laughs> um, and they're not 13 anymore, right? And then we also have fans, we have, you know, the demographic, our networks, you know, they're teen networks. Mm -hmm that we're having to write for a teen network. We also want to remember that we have fans that are older, because we know that. And we also know that we have fans that are even younger than that, and to bring them into the show. So you know, I think that's something that we always have to think about, is like all the different groups of fans that we have, and how do we write a show for all those people that everyone's going to enjoy and engage everyone equally. Yeah. And the thief, oh sorry, go oh, ahead. No, I think a, a huge difference from when I started till now is, uh, so eight years ago, I'm not even sure we aired on the internet or we were just starting to. Mm -hmm. So our audience was just a TV audience and it was a very big number and we knew what audience we were speaking to but they weren't necessarily speaking back to us. We would go to Boycott the Calf was a funny place to go and read about our writing or um, deep in the television without pity forums or fan forum. Um, but that, they were all places where people, very engaged active fans went to type out their feelings, good or bad, and um, but it was a small group, and as the years progressed, and now our show is online, and we know a lot of people watch, but it's hard to know exactly how many now, um, but everyone now has a Tumblr or has a Twitter, and it's like everybody has their own magazine where they can publish their own ideas. So they don't have to go anywhere to express their ideas, They're, they have their own voice, and that's a, a huge change. So. Um, we're more aware of more fans, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. But I think there are still there's still a big number that don't engage online like that. But it is a huge change. Anyone else? One of the other things too, sort of to add what Sarah was saying before about how there's fans of many different ages who watch the show, is that we have, at least in this past season, three different grades of characters who each are sort of home to very different kinds of stories. And so, like in the room, we'll sometimes talk about a grade 9 story versus a grade 12 story and how those kids have either gone through a lot if they're in grade 12 so maybe they are more mature and they will experience different things versus grade 9s who are going to make all the mistakes and it sort of uh, it, it provides a really clean avenue to sort of tell stories for different people and do you find like with your feedback is it so you are serving like a huge range a big range of mm -hmm. um, people out there in the audience and uh, fans so your feedback, or your online feedback, do you find it's coming from a specific age group or a specific, specific demographic, or? I think it's different ages on different, uh, in different places. Oh, like, mm -hmm. for example? Matt will speak much. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, on, uh, well, it's shifting too, but um, we know we've got super fans that are 25, 30. We know we've got super fans that are 12, I think Tumblr feels a little younger. People posting on the blogs feel a little older. Uh, Twitter has a huge variety of people who tweet differently, too. There are people who tweet while they're watching, people who tweet their thoughts afterwards. It's just, um, but you can, you generally speaking, can tell 
the age by where they are and what they're saying. Right, mm -hmm. okay. And what they like, too. Right. Um, have you had any, like, really terrible experiences with your feedback or anything? Not terrible. Something that's... <laughs> so I won't say, why would I go there? Okay, I mean, uh. something that's memorable, very, very <laughs> memorable. How's that uh, in, in terms of your interaction with fans? Something that maybe shocked you in a good way? <laughs> I wrote an episode that has often been considered the worst episode <laughs> of all 350 episodes. So, uh, how do you gauge something like that? Like, who's they make a list, <laughs> uh, and that's fine. It was the first episode I wrote. It was with uh, characters that they weren't used to seeing a story with, and uh, that happened. And I, I, I actually, so um, I wrote down like some of the meanest comments and I had them on a tack board in my office and then because then the next thing I wrote was a set of um, webisodes that everyone loved and they were like this is the best thing I've ever seen so I had those ones up and then my third episode I wrote um, it was it was fine it wasn't it, people liked it it wasn't everyone's favorite or least favorite but there were a bunch of jokes about bacon and everyone loved the jokes about bacon. So then I had five cards up that were just the jokes about bacon. Just to sort of remind me that the internet can be supportive or not, or delighted or whatever, and not to care so much that I wrote the worst episode of all time. We had a good experience just lately. Matt and I were at the Emmys um, because we were nominated for oh, Best yeah. Youth Series. Thanks. And there, yay! <laughs> and there were um, a bunch of fans there. And they actually saw Matt first, and then I, and they're like, oh my god, it's Matt and Sarah, can you sign something? And they actually knew, probably you first, but they knew who the, the writers were, and, and they really wanted to yeah. engage in us, and they knew what episodes we had written. And they were the only fans. They were the only, like Heidi Klum was behind us, and she didn't have fans. Like, they were the yeah. only fans. Yeah. And, no. and yeah. they were there yeah. to, because we had awesome. actors with, there with us as well, and they were excited to meet them, but they were also excited to meet us and talk to us, so that was really fun. How does that happen? I How don't do, know. We have great fans, it was amazing. Like they know what you look like from like Twitter. Yeah, you. they'll see. You. <laughs> Basically, uh -oh. I mean, we and we put ourselves out there. Put a collage of your faces <laughs> following you around. I feel like this is less a fan-specific thing because we talk about it in terms of learn using social media to learn, you know, and to to um, influence the sh show. We all spend a lot of time on social media, following teenagers, seeing trends, seeing what they're talking about, and I think that influences. Like we're you know we're a show that tries to be real. You know, we do parts that are ripped from the headlines. Um, we do parts just like what's happening, slice of life, teen life. And so we find social media a really helpful place to go to to get that type of information. Mm -hmm. um, and to just learn what people are reacting to, what people are talking to, what we should be talking about. Mm -hmm. So, And obviously social media itself has become a really big part of the storylines on our show. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. And, and does anyone else have any memorable kind of recollections? About it's always funny to <laughs> online experience that affected you personally. It, it, it's funny to see what the people again on Twitter really latch onto. It's sort of like you can tell that they really love a specific moment when they make a hashtag out of it. Mm. And it's sort of like mm -hmm. there was one again at the parking lot party, and it sort of just took all of us by surprise. We were like, "Wow, they really like that scene." And it's sort of like it, even with a character they may not love. Like I mean, you can, it shows that you can sort of get excitement out of fans when they seem to really lean hard in one direction, you can still swing them the other way. It's, it's a good, it's, it's sort of a good landscape now that we can actually gauge those things like that. What was the hashtag? Get your own friends? Get your own friends. friends. Yeah. Get your own people. Get, Get your, your own, own people. people. Yeah. Cool. Um, I just felt, because you're saying that you wrote one of the, not a great episode. <laughs> the, okay. the, 
bottom three of all time. I guaranteed. Say that. <laughs> I agree. But then your webisodes were amazing. Now, did you take the notes of feedback and then sort of work it into your? Am I trying to like really work this angle? <laughs> no, because the timeline almost never works for that. So I had already by the time that the episode oh, okay. aired and I had gotten the terrible feedback, I had already written the next one, right? So it doesn't it, it never. It's like two or three episodes later mm-hmm. that you could ever apply anything you've learned. Yeah, just curious. Yeah, no, I just the webisodes people liked because it just had a bunch of fun people in it doing fun things. Like we made Aubrey, who plays Jimmy, who is now Drake, do a silly I dance. I know, like and, I mean, and everyone liked him doing a silly dance, so that was uh, fine. But also to take the heat off Matt, we come up with stories. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just teasing. No, no, no. We come up, we come up with the stories as a room. So Matt got served the stories. Hmm. He had to, he had to write yeah. the characters. He had to write about Matt didn't. That is, that's one thing I, I will say. Our audience is very savvy in that they they know the process of writing a lot more than um, mm-hmm. some fan bases. So almost never do we get called out by name. It's the writers. They understand that we come up with it together, and I think probably having the writer's account and the writer's Tumblr helps with that. But they they seem to, they're very smart. Our audience is very smart, and they know how it all works production wise. Hmm. Um, and uh, just to go off a little bit, because you guys have all been writing on different things, and you've been writing um, before you came to Degrassi. So uh, that understanding, the process of writing, is that just because of the way Degrassi works, or just the way that the whole kind of internet thing is happening, or have you found that on other shows that that you worked on before? I think that audiences in general are just more and more savvy to the filmmaking process. Okay. Like it's, I think it started around like with DVD commentaries, yeah. and then you can. There's so many scripts out online, so you get to see sort of like what happens from script to screen to editing room. Like they always say that the stories are written like a couple different times, and at least one of those times in the script, and one of those times in the editing room. And I think there's just so much talk about screenwriting and writers and showrunners. Um, that there's now a documentary coming out about showrunners and so there's a lot more sort of peaks behind the scenes now um, that that just adds to the information that people can gather online which is really cool that the fans can engage in a lot of different ways um, and become more familiar with the process and I think that's sort of like led to that. Yeah, case in point, I don't think this panel happens five and ten years ago. Not just because right. of the digital no, components. The writer's field did not do it five or ten years ago. Well, we just started four years. Just because, you know, yeah. uh, I don't think there's an awareness of the yeah. writing room the way there is now. Yeah, for sure. Like we even um, was it last year, two years ago. We we really liked there was a show called Happy Endings that we really really liked, mm. and we tweeted to the Happy Endings writers and we tweeted back and forth and we sent them some swag and they sent us some swag and so we were like having a little writers room bro session. Oh, nice. It was kind of fun. And but then they, they put, put us in the show. Yeah, and then we put, and them, we put in them, in them in the show. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, as awesome. references. Yeah. Well, you know, you're right, because it is like the rise of the, the showrunner and, and the importance of the writing team is becoming more and more um, important and, and prevalent, and uh, that's why we have been doing this uh, panel for now, it's our fourth year doing it, and we do three every year, which is awesome, and um, because, uh, in the, you know, there's generally a focus on the directors and the, and the actors and that sort of thing, which is great, they're phenomenal. But um, the writers are becoming really important, and the fans are aware that the writers are really important. So they want to hear from the people who are writing those words and creating those characters and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, that's why we are we are here today, and we're here tomorrow and Saturday as well. <laughs> a couple other of uh, writers' panels that you should check out. Um, I I think I don't know. Have we? 
covered some topics here. Should we open it up to? Let's hear from the fans. Should we hear from the? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Hello. Pardon me, the question. In all seriousness, you guys are the custodians of a piece of Canadiana, and given the quality week in and week out, it's in good hands. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. However, is poor Adam rolling in his grave given what's going on with Becky and Drew? <laughs> <laughs> I think he would want his brother to be happy. Is that it? Is that it? <laughs> okay. It's a good uh, question. So, especially for the writers who've been on the show longer, but even for the newer ones, I know with it being a high school show, you know, characters rotate. Is there, has there been any characters that have been really hard for you to let go when their time at Degrassi was done and they moved on? Yeah. And who? Oh. <laughs> All of them. I, we, yeah, there's so many. Every time we've got to say goodbye to a character or a class, it's, it's very hard. For me, the character I miss so much, and I talk about it all the time, and my team makes fun of me. They're like, you could bring her back. <laughs> <laughs> You're in charge. She could visit for, for a story. I really, really miss Fiona. Uh, she was one of my favorite characters. She was so much fun to write for. She could do anything, um, and she did some terrible, terrible things. Um, <laughs> and you always forgave her and loved her, and she had such heart, and she grew so much over her time on the show. Um, you know, and, and I feel like she's a character that we could have continued to tell stories with. We kept her for a whole extra year. Um, so we could do that. So she's the character that I probably miss the most. I miss, uh, sorry. Anoko? Oh, I miss a lot of the people that when I started on the show that were graduating right away, sort of, so, um, and people that came on a little bit later, um, like the Marisols and the Katies and those mm -hmm. kind of characters who are all, a lot of the time we have the characters like Claire who's come in, she's been there since grade eight, she's now in, in the senior, and so we've had 300 maybe episodes of Claire, and Claire's an amazing character, we love writing for her, um, but we told a lot and a lot of Claire stories, and Claire's awesome, but um, having the, having to tell a Katie story or a Marisol story or one of those later characters is kind of sometimes really fun because we don't know a lot about them and peeling back those onions of characters is sometimes is often really fun. And truthfully, there's something unique about writing for kids because sometimes the kids come on the show and they don't have tons of acting experience. Like we see some raw natural talent in mm -hmm. them, but they definitely have to grow as actors before we can start telling bigger stories with them. And sometimes their growth <laughs> and, and when it's time to tell those stories don't mix. So I think Marisol is someone who became such a lovely, special actor and we never had an opportunity to tell the stories we wanted to tell with her when that happened. So yeah. that's always really interesting. Yeah, to that point, I, I would say it's fun. It's really fun to see younger characters start to grow and the actors grow into the roles. Uh, I really enjoy seeing that on, on this season. I think we've had, I don't want to spoil too much, but we've definitely had some people stepping up and uh, expanding their worlds, and yeah. that's, that's really exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah? Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Um, other questions? Yeah? I was just curious, uh, you mentioned uh, the web episode. Uh, they've changed quite a bit over the years that I've been there. There have been different reasons we've done different ones. Um, some of them feel like they're canon and part of the show, and some of them I wrote one where all the characters were pirates in the cafeteria <laughs> for some reason. So that's not canon, but it plays on all those jokes from the canon. 
Um, so I would just say with the webisodes, generally speaking, we just try to have as much fun as possible because uh, for a lot of them, it's a chance to do something different or have an escape or see the character in a different way. I pitched one webisode where I wanted to do a whole series of scenes um, called like, what if Spinner was played by a ham sandwich and then just reshoot the scenes, except he's just a sandwich, but they almost let me do it. <laughs> We have fun writing like uh, we're comfortable and have fun um, writing stories for all for all the different characters um, and dialogue for all the different characters. So I don't think there's a specific one that we have we have trouble with. I think it's important to have characters, um, you know, and the, to allow them to continue to make mistakes and, and and to do all of that. Because when we stop being able to let a character make mistakes and they've gotten I guess too mature for our world, that's when we struggle to tell stories with them. To your point, though, about Fiona, Fiona was a character who could make endless mistakes and you forgave her. I feel like <coughs> Drew is sort of in that wheelhouse. Exactly. It's, it's, we usually can figure out the Drew stories earlier because we know exactly how dumb he can be <laughs> <laughs> and then get himself out of it. The Simpsons always had this rule that Homer could never be as dumb as a dog. Um, Drew's smarter than that, but he's he still makes a lot of mistakes and you forgive him because he's learning and he's sweet. I think at the beginning of every season we talk about what's happening in the world, what stories we want to tell, what we're excited about, and then we talk about where we think the characters are going to go and, and how they're going to grow, and then we sort of mesh those two things, like what are the big arcs and stories we want to tell and what characters can we tell these stories and you know, share that messaging with best, and that's sort of the process we have at the beginning of the year to figure all that out. So, Any other questions? Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, Um, yeah. So at the beginning, of, I'll just start. At the beginning of the season, um, we all meet together for sort of a big brainstorm. We probably spend two or three weeks uh, just blue skying all the different things that we think could happen over the season. What we're excited about, what the, all the different character arcs are going to be over the season, and then once we figure that out, we sort of plot that based on the number of episodes that we have for that season. Sort of start figuring out where the big things are going to happen, where the big arcs are going to happen, and we start to see the shape of individual episodes um, so that we sort of know the serialized stories that are going to happen. Um, and then the actual specific breaking, uh, the way that we break is we have two rooms that work at the same time because we just do a lot of content in here. We do a lot of episodes uh, per season. Uh, we have two rooms that break at a time and they just sort of figure out the stories um, and then so it'll be two writers working together, probably two or three writers working together, and then I'll come in and we'll talk about that, or I'll be involved in the breaking process. Um, and then we pitch it to the other producers on the show. And once that's approved, uh, we move forward and we write outlines, which we story as a group, and then scripts that we story out as a group. But we try to just have a lot of fun breaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We know that if we're having fun with the stories and we're getting excited and... You know, we often get complaints that people can hear loud, la or not complaints, but people hear loud <laughs> laughter from the writing room or screams or squeals and stuff like that. 
but I think that's good because that means we're excited about the stories that we're going to tell. So, well, into that earlier point about fans having a real reaction, being here either very angry or very happy about things, it's always a good sign in the room when we're debating amongst ourselves. Yeah. Right. People have different opinions about whatever the subject matter is. We know we're on the right track. And we try to put all those opinions in the show. Right. Um, and you know, part of my job is putting together a writers' room. Um, to write the show, and as I said, I look for people that are very passionate about teen television, passionate about Degrassi, but the question that I always ask is, what are you passionate about? Um, and trying to find people that are passionate about a number of different things so that you have different opinions, so that not everyone comes in and you know thinks the same thing about a different people, uh, about, a, um, about a different subject or a different character, um, because all that fighting is really, really important. And everyone has favorite characters, so everyone wants to, like, fights for their characters and, like, wants stories for this and wants this character to do this or that, and that's all really fun and all sort of feeds into that. Yeah, we often say when we get into one of those fights, one person will dig their heels in and say that character would never do that. <laughs> and when you get to that point, then you can say, okay, but what would make that character do that? Yeah. Like, w what would make them compromise that? And then that's how you get to really interesting story points because what makes a person compromise their values that suggests character yeah. I think and I think like the fans we all have particular ships for different couples and sometimes right. they're secret and one day someone will just come out and be like I think these two people should be together and we fight about that and then maybe a month later we're like huh <laughs> that's interesting maybe that could work because that person has been fighting for a month to bring that couple together they finally convinced us maybe that's something we should talk about um, because you know, if one person in the room or two people in the room are excited about that, there's got to be a percentage of fans that are also going to be excited about that. Um, so hopefully, you know, with all the different viewpoints we have in the room, we represent <laughs> the sum total of, of all the people watching the show. Well, I can't stand it because I want to know who's passionate about which character and who's fighting for whom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you guys have to go down the row and, I, and tell us. Well, we can't answer that question, can we? <laughs> We're so <laughs> far ahead, it would be spoilers at this really? point. Really? You can't yeah. say that uh, I have so-and-so? Oh, we can say, okay, Can't sure. you say I heart so-and-so and I heart this person, okay. this character? <laughs> okay, I'm going to be really controversial. I'm going to start. I love Maya. <laughs> Um, <laughs> silence, silence. I know. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I love Maya. It's 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 really a, she's a, a grade ten character. Is she in grade ten in season thirteen? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Grade ten character on the show. Um, she's made a lot of mistakes in the fans' eyes, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, but I think she's a great and interesting character. Um, it's one of the things that's interesting that I, I don't think I would have ever known without social media, since we're talking on a social media panel, is um, how much harder the fans are on our female characters than they are on our, ma on our male characters. Um, so this is something that I learned. It's like, guys can make lots of mistakes, and people think it's often awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, or it's exciting, or like, yeah. But when girls make mistakes, they're really, really hard on them. Um, and we see that with uh, all sorts of our male characters, but we've seen that specifically with the Maya character, uh, which is interesting. So um, that's a character that you know I'll continue to fight for because I believe in her and I believe she's a strong female <laughs> crusading character. Excuse me. Uh, that was Maya. a fan. <laughs> Upset already? <laughs> From the audience too. <laughs> uh, my favorite character to write for for the last couple of seasons has been Becky. And I think it's because she has such a strong moral core, but 
she also has this set of beliefs that are tested every single episode. And so I love watching her go through that journey because she has a, an incredibly good heart, um, but she doesn't know what that means in the world yet. Um, and I've just, I've loved her journey from when we brought her on and she was so polarizing to where we've taken her through season 14. Uh, I love so many kids. <laughs> <laughs> you have to pick one. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to make a compromise. I'm going to pick one senior and one junior. <laughs> what? No, I, um, character. My favorite character that I have done a lot of writing for is Allie, actually. I have a lot of fun with Allie because I think that she can make... She's Teen Nick did a promo for her at the beginning of season 13 and it just really encapsulated her character so perfectly, which was like book smart, boy dumb. And I find it so entertaining to write a character who she is such a go-getter and she really knows what she wants and she's really good at getting it and she's so smart, but she keeps getting felled up by sort of her emotions. It's like you can, you can have, be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't like, have the control of your own emotions, which you don't have when you're a teenager all the time, it really kind of can screw you up a little bit. So I really like writing for Allie. Uh, I would say the character I like writing most for is Zoe. Um, I think she's just kind of a superhero. She can do so many things. I mean, a little bit to the Fiona point about doing things, but you always forgive her. And uh, she just does makes such wild decisions that I could never make. <laughs> no fear. And I, I just think she's, she's awesome. Well... Um I really like writing for Tristan. I think he's a really unique character. I think um, the actor Lyle plays him so well, and he's transformed a lot over the years, and he was a real treat to write for. I have a lot of fun with Winston, because <laughs> he's such a goof, but I feel like he really wants things and just has very little clue about how to get them. And it's sort of fun to sort of, but like he's also, he's not one of our characters who we refer to as one of our dumber characters. Like he's a really smart guy, but he just makes a lot of, I think, really teenage boy mistakes. He's, I feel like he's one of the characters too who has the most hormones on that show, which I think is a lot of fun. They're very different. Um, it's been interesting to make the transition uh, between the two. Um, writing for television is so much about collaboration, and writing fiction, you know, you sit in your cave and you get very protective of every word you write. So it's been really wonderful to not feel that and to uh, be a part of a team. And um, and. The two really complement each other in interesting ways. When I go back to fiction, I feel like uh, I understand story structure a lot better, and I'm I'm framing I'm looking at story a little bit differently in a way that um, is really positive. Did you have a question? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say it's things people are talking about in the news, in the media, what our fans are talking about on social media, what teenagers are talking about, 
you know, Matt and I even spent a day at high school to like hang out with teenagers. Um, so I think we look for stories everywhere, like all the time, and, and we just find out what we get excited about, what we start fighting about, what we get passionate about in the room, what we think people will be passionate about, and we try to see if it fits uh, with our characters. Um, just recently in season 13, which we've just all watched, you know, the pretty big story arc was Zoe um, and her date rape story, and that's, you know, a lot of that is very much ripped from the headlines. Um, and what's awesome for us is when we see something in the media or that's happening in the world that really inspires us, I think we have an opportunity to like sort of take it and without being after school special to sort of say, this is how we, this is how Degrassi feels about this. This is Degrassi's, you know, messaging and like what we, what, how, how we feel about this particular topic. So I think it's that, but I think it's slice of life. Every day people are coming in with story ideas and, and it comes from a lot of different places. It comes from character. It comes from, you know just what we see happening in the world and what we're excited about. I would say kernels. Like we, the story is because it's collaborative, we tell a lot of personal stories in the room. Like The writer's room is a very personal space, and um, we know a lot about each other and each other's friends. So sometimes you meet the friends at a party, and you're like, oh, yeah, weird. <laughs> uh, but uh, generally speaking, because it's so collaborative, we tell the personal story, then it gets mapped onto a character, and then it becomes that character's story. And they're all people to us, so they would approach it differently. So it all, always gets adapted and shaped in a different way, and it never really feels, the end result never feels like the original story, but the kernel is there. Um, and I think a lot of Degrassi is about first, and I think if it's not the specific situation of our first in our right. lives, it's the feelings of the first. Like, you always remember what your first kiss was like, or your first time, or, or you know, the first time you stood up to an adult, or whatever those things are, and I think that's where I think the writers bring sort of like the emotional, the depth and the drama that comes from like our high school experience or our first time doing all of that and that's sort of what we can, we can bring. Is it harder to write about the subjects that are happening in Zoe or happening in Sam? Is it potentially harder? Is it harder? It's harder emotionally, I think. It's harder on us in the room. Like we get pretty passionate when we have those conversations and um, the, the writing of it isn't necessarily harder like to sit down and do it but the discussion around it and in those two cases making sure we saw all sides and did it as well as we could and uh, there's a lot of pressure on us as well I think and whoa <laughs> okay. that's that your fan feedback <laughs> <laughs> fan feedback <laughs> Interesting. Um, <laughs> there we go. Does anyone else have any questions? I mean, you can still ask. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, over the years, I've watched the original series. Yeah. This is so bizarre. <laughs> Oh, man. Is there anything we want to talk about we haven't? 
I think what ends up happening is that we talk about it in the room, and if it doesn't get done in that season, I sort of get the feeling that it's still out in the ether. It's all it's yeah. in the back of all of our minds to potentially be the big difficult subject to tackle in the future. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem is, or part of the challenge is figuring out the right way to tell that in a Degrassi setting. Mm -hmm. Or to have uh, the right character for yeah, it. Wait till yeah. the right character comes along and then do it. That happens a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. There's still a couple that I would like to do, but I don't want to say, because I'd like to do them if <laughs> we get the chance. Like I, yeah, it would be like a weird spoiler, because it doesn't exist yet. I just had an extra thought on the suicide, sort of date rape Zoe question. Um, and those episodes, I think when we go in to write them, we have the clearest vision about them. Mm. and. The, the greatest sense of what we want to tell and how we want to tell it. So in some ways, they're the easiest stories to break. Um, and those are the ones that change so little. Because often, you know, you break the story, uh, you write the outline, it changes a lot to first draft, to second draft, to third draft, for when it gets shot. I would say for both of those stories, pretty much exactly what we had on the boards that we pitched, you know, is exactly what those episodes are. We were just, it was just so clear from the beginning what we wanted to do with those episodes. Um, and so... I think that was that was great. We also got like um, for certain of the bigger episodes, we'll have people come in from outside that are experts in the field, or experts in domestic assault, or experts with suicide prevention, or experts with those kind of things. And so we'll sit down as the writing team and you know really consult with this person, and they'll talk. They'll give us a big talk, and then we'll ask all the questions we had that we've thought of so far. And um, so with those ones, we do, there's a little bit more sort of background work done. I mean, each of us researches, we do our own stuff with our own scripts to make sure everything's as authentic as possible. But with those bigger um, hot button issues, we yeah. also consult with those experts, which gives us hopefully some more stuff to work with and more um, real information to really. It's much harder to write the, I don't have a date for prom stories. Yes. <laughs> right. To TV writing specifically? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm sure we all have, have uh, different pieces of advice. Um, I, I would say watch a lot of television, obviously. Um, be familiar with how TV is written and to work really hard. I mean, it's hard if you don't know exactly what stage the person is at. Um, but uh, I think you know you need to work on specs and write specs and get feedback for that, which would be like a sample script, um, either of a show that's on TV or an original. People are preferring originals right now. Um, and to really get notes from that and work on that and make that good. And then to start meeting people, um, to call people who work and write on the shows that you're interested on. People are very generous. Um, I wouldn't be where I was today if five or six people hadn't answered the phone and offered to, you know, had coffee with me. Um, so find the people who you think will be passionate about you and believe in you um, and get specific advice from them um, in terms of getting better as a writer and, and sort of cracking that. I think it's easier to look at shows that are going to be happening and hiring than it is to try to go the agent route when you're first starting out. I think it's easier to sort of get an in, whether it's as a PA or a story coordinator or even just to make a connection that might not pay off for two or three years. Um, as many of mine didn't um, from my first coffee, um, I think that's sort of the easier way to do it than to, to try to submit to agents. So, I would say the one additional piece to that that I would give is you've got to write your samples, and it used to be that they wanted you to write 
a sample script from a show that existed so they could see if you could copy other people's voices. Mm -hmm. And that's still important because if you come onto our show, you've got to be able to write for our stable of 25 characters and in the voice of the show, and that's really important. But I think now, um, because there's so much television and we're trying to cut through the clutter, you want to figure out what your unique story is, what your unique take is, write a pilot that's original and has a unique voice, and that's going to get you heard a little bit more because mm -hmm. um, we need unique voices. If you haven't, I would say if you haven't written a TV script before, your first TV script should probably be a script for a show that exists on TV because um, just so you can get practice in that, so you have a sample, so there's something you can look at and say it should sort of be like that. It's a really good blueprint because um, originals, I think probably everyone at this table who's we all have originals, we've all been in development. It's really hard to write a pilot, <laughs> um, even if you're an experienced TV writer. So I think your first time out of the gate, you know, obviously try to continue to do that. While you're doing that, also write the script based on a current TV show, just to sort of see and to learn, and it, it's like a little mini TV school, um, just doing that. And obviously there are great courses that you can take, sort of continuing education courses um, in Toronto, at, at Ryerson, probably at Humber and Sheridan. So it's always really helpful to take a class too as you go through that process. I think a really important thing when you're starting out is to find other people who are also starting out at that same level because um, it's often difficult to get the time from people who are busy, who are, who are on shows and who are, who are working a lot and to have other people that are at your level and you can give each other notes and that's a really important thing too of course is to learn how to take notes. That's, yeah. that's a very big mm -hmm. thing when you're, when you're starting out. And to Sarah's point about working on a show or writing for it, an episode of a show that you love that's currently on the air is you get you have all those blueprints already set out for you. And I think Sarah had this talk already, but like um, you can you can look at each act and you can see how many scenes are in each act and you can see how long the teaser are or how long the tag is and you can see the structure of the show. So you can just copy that number of scenes and there's often scripts online so you can see the number of pages their scripts are. So it's a really great blueprint to really sort of dig into. Um, versus when you're writing your own pilot, you get a little more free form, so it's, that part is a little bit easier as well. Also, and, oh, sorry. And, it's just, and just a second again, your point, Sarah, about the, uh, going for copies. Like, there are so many people that will, like, it's surprising. Um, having, having really liked Degrassi as well, before I was on the show, one of my first copies ever was with Aaron Martin, who was one of the first ever showrunners of Degrassi Next Generation. And we sat at Tim Hortons, and we just had a big coffee, and we chatted for like an hour and a half, and then he invited me to this TIFF party like the next day, and I met some more people, and sort of things just start spiraling. So just getting out there, it's so nerve-wracking to make cold calls or to make cold emails or whatever, but people are very, very generous. You need to have the scripts first, though. It's, if, yeah. if you, it's bad if you go for coffee and someone's like, yeah, hey, I need a story coordinator. It just turns out. Can I see your script? You're like, oh, I don't have Because <laughs> that's a lot of people say they want to be TV writers, and we often have that. And you know, you ask, you're like, hey, can I, can I read you? And they have nothing to read. So there's nothing I can do, and that was like a real missed opportunity for them. Um, and also, I mean, it's our like writing scripts is our job. We have deadlines, and if we don't meet them, we get fired. I think one of the hardest <laughs> things to do when you're at home writing and you have maybe another job or other things that you're doing in your life is to actually write and get it done. And I think you need to set pretty aggressive deadlines and just do it and get it done. And 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 as Scott said, getting notes is really important because you know nothing's ever perfect, especially TV, it's really a collaborative process. So getting that first script done and getting the notes on that, I think is really important and really a big part of the process and your growth as a writer. 
Chloe, Alejandro, any words of wisdom for the people? I, w I would say also don't show anyone anything that you haven't rewritten at least five times. <laughs> <laughs> Alejandro? Yeah, I think I'm in line with stuff. what these guys are saying, I think too, like one of the first things Sarah said was uh, it's good to sort of inject yourself into the television industry as a PA or whatever other way you can. And it's good to work really hard at those jobs too because eventually all the people you meet there are gonna form opinions about you. And if you're a really lazy PA, that's gonna really stay with you for a long time and that's bad. So I mean, be good at every job you have in this industry so that people remember that. Okay, well, oh, we have a few more minutes, but we can take a, yeah, we have five more minutes, so we can take a couple questions here. Uh huh. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> it's funny because it changed, but not for those reasons. Yeah. Like we, we shifted into, we were doing the four days a week in the summer, but that wasn't necessarily because of the channel change. That was a, there was a little bit more music in the show when it was on Much Music, but that was sort of happening naturally anyway. We didn't feel that as much as I think the audience did. Yeah. I think the audience felt the change because it moved networks and was in a different place. Also, it didn't change our broadcaster in the US. Right. So we were sort of making a consistent show. I think we've just continued, season after season, we just try to continue to grow with our audience and to update the show and to you know, you know know change the way we tell stories. But I think we're always telling the same stories. I think Degrassi, you know, whether it's season one or whether it's season 14, I think the heart of the show has always been the same and like the message of the show has always been the same. Um, and all the rest is really just trying to, you know, innovate and, and belong in the TV landscape. And I think because we're able to do that, that's why we've been on the air so long, so. Well, I think we're supposed to wrap, okay, yeah, wrap it up. <laughs> My phone's falling out. Um, I don't know if there's any last little words of uh, advice or wisdom or something from the panel. I guess not. Um, Keep watching uh, Degrassi. Oh, no. Uh, I want to thank everyone in the audience, um, all you fans who came out to uh, listen to the writers. And I want to thank our uh, amazing uh, panel of writers from the Degrassi show, uh, Sarah, Matt, and Matt, Scott, Zoe, and Alejandro. Thank you so much for coming out. They came straight from writing, you guys. They were like <laughs> tops, and they took a some kind exactly of teleported over here, and then they came here. So they're, you know, they came straight out from the room to be here just for you. So um, thank you, everyone. Um, and uh, I just want to plug Writers Guild. If anyone has any questions about writers and writing and what the Writers Guild does, you can see me or uh, Lee in the front. And uh, we have the Writers Guild information on the handouts out there, and we would be happy to hear from you. You don't have to be a member. If you want uh, just any kind of general information or tips uh, about writing, come and see us. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thanks to the whole Degrassi team Sarah Glinsky, Matt Heater, Matt Schiller, Scott Oleskowitz, Zoe Whittle, and Alejandro Alcoba. They came straight from the writer's room to be here tonight. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. That helps us increase the profile of the podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch, please email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. That's writerstalkingtv, one word, at gmail.com. 
This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovic. I'm Lee Robbins from the Writers Guild of Canada. Thanks for listening.